0: I'm Mike Winger and I'm here with my guest, Dr. Tim Stratton. And I just want to ask you, Tim, explain for our, for our audience, say like the 17-year-old who has no philosophical education, what are you saying? Like, what's your argument for God? How does this thing work? Help us to just, before we go deep to understand just on the surface, what is, what is
1: your point? Well, let's just start out by talking about naturalism naturalism is the view that only nature exists. So if that's the case, there's no God, there's no angels or demons, there's no abstract objects, and there's definitely not a human soul, an immaterial aspect of human existence. Right? Only, if naturalism is true, only the stuff that scientists could test or possibly discover is what actually exists. But if nature is all that exists, then that means that everything about humanity, everything about you would be caused and determined by the forces and past events of nature, like physics and chemistry, for example. But if physics and chemistry are running the entire show, then that means that physics and chemistry cause and determine everything about you. But if that's the case, then that means that physics and chemistry always causes and determines exactly what you think of and about, and exactly how you think of and about it. But if that's the case, then if the forces of nature cause and determine you to hold a false belief, then it would be impossible for you to reach a better belief, let alone the truth. But here's the deal. You can reach true beliefs. You can do it. I mean, uh, does anybody really want to say that they can't reach true beliefs? I mean, that, that would mean that you reached the true belief that you cannot reach true beliefs. That's just crazy talk. Yeah. So, so if that's the case, here's what we can conclude. Since you can reach better and true beliefs, uh, right? You're not, you're not forced to hold false beliefs. Then it follows that not all of your beliefs are caused and determined by the forces and past events of nature or really anything else for that matter. And that means that you really are a free thinker. You're a free thinker. So that means that you have free will, namely free will in the libertarian sense. And I'll explain that more later. But that means that you seem to be more than just nature. That is to say that there seems to be something supernatural, as it were, about humanity, something other than nature about you. And I contend the best explanation for this free thinking and supernatural ability is God, and more specifically, the biblical view of God. So that's a quick flyover of some of the stuff I'll unpack more as we go on today.
0: Right on. So, in, in short, it's, and t- please feel free throughout this whole interview, correct me if you feel like I'm misrepresenting or I've got something wrong. I'm uh, no ego there, just. <laughs> you know, make your case, but but here's right. my my takeaway here so far is what you're saying is um, humans we have the ability to think freely and uh, to make rational choices. Like I think this is true, I think this is false, and we're actually deciding between those things, and that itself is is evidence for God. Uh, the best explanation for that is God, and we'll explain why as we go along. And that sounds cliche almost, but it there's a thoughtful why? philosophical case you're going to make, but you're also adding. And if you argue against this you you have to like assume that it's true, kind of to argue against it because if if you think you're making rational choices, then it's okay to argue that you're making rational choices, but you're going to argue that you're not, which is a rational argument for something that you think you can't rationally conclude at any rate. Yeah, you did <laughs> something good. like that uh-huh. um, all right, so let me introduce you guys to my guest uh this is dr tim Stratton uh, me and me and him actually met at the uh the e p s conference uh or ets conference the same thing (laughs) but we met there last year evangelical philosophical Mm -hmm. society conference which was um i i found out when i went i was a noob right it was my first time that it's actually (laughs) apparently people go more to hang out than they do to attend the sessions which is kind of sad and also enjoyable (laughs) (laughs) that's right that's right this the untold truth about the ets Uh conference um but I was there for the sessions, and I remember I saw uh, Tim Barnett, and he was like, "What are you doing?" And I was like, oh, "I'm gonna do this one and that one and that one." And he goes, "You noob." <laughs> <laughs> I learned anyway. Yeah. Um, but me and Tim hit it off. Uh, we 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 became quickly at at least friends. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, if maybe I don't know if we don't talk to each other that much, but I I think we're we're of a friend status. We Definitely. each other in, in, in yeah. real life, <laughs> not mm-hmm. just Facebook. That's At right. any rate, uh, tell us, though, Tim, I know you. <clears throat> tell the audience who you are, like what What gives what you're about to share some credibility, you know, the work you've put into this.
1: Uh, well, you know, I was, uh, I was in youth ministry. I was a pastor for years, and I started being challenged uh, by uh, students in my youth group, in high school ministry and in college ministry, uh, you know, uh, students who were really struggling with their faith, other students who, who were becoming atheists in my youth group, and they were challenging me with some really tough questions, and I didn't know how to answer any of them. And so it kind of shook my faith uh, quite a bit, actually. But I started, uh, you know, I, I made a commitment saying, I'm going to follow truth wherever it leads. I'm going to go look for evidence. Um, and if hey, if atheism turns out to be true, I'm going to be the most uh, committed atheist you've ever seen. And, uh, you know, if it's Islam, I'll be a Muslim. If, you know, I'll be, if it's, if Buddhism is true, count me in. Um, and if Christianity turns out to be true, then I'm going to be more on fire for Christ uh, than I've ever been in my life. And, and, uh, so I went on a journey and one of the things that just kept me up at night was this topic about free will. And at the time I was, a a die hard cage stage calvinist <laughs> um and i didn't believe that we had free will um but i started having dialogues with uh atheists who were calling themselves free thinkers and they were also saying there's no such thing as free will but then it hit me that they're calling the, they're denying free will yet calling themselves free thinkers and I started thinking about my own beliefs also as a as a Calvinistic determinist, and started saying, "Man, there, I need to look into this more." Well, needless to say, um, I'm convinced that we can demonstrate that humans do possess libertarian free will at least sometimes. Obviously, not there's not that doesn't mean I have free will regarding everything, but I make a case that exhaustive determinism is not true, and that occasionally we possess libertarian freedom. So uh, I'm not a deterministic Calvinist <laughs> anymore, not a Calvinist at all anymore. Um, I'm a Molinist, but uh, I, I definitely don't think that the atheistic worldview, at least the naturalistic worldview, um, can make sense of uh, the, the term free thinker. So that's kind of what sparked some of this. I, I did a master's degree at Biola University Uh, Laser focusing on this topic, and then I did my doctoral work, um, doing much work on this topic as well as some other things as well, um, and just finished that up last year. Sure. And
0: then for those um, who, like me, didn't, you know, kind of spend a lot of our times in these academic institutions, like I just, I want um, the audience to know what this means is that uh, Tim has actually focused. On this issue, and that means that he's tried to figure out how to refine a a philosophical argument for God from free will, which involves defending that we have free will. We're going to do that today, and it also involves explaining why uh, the the whole idea of free will is incompatible with naturalism or that sort of godless view of of the world. And so mm-hmm. th- this is something he's going to defend. And he's tried to find challenges to this argument. He's tried to find things that would rebut the argument. He's changed the argument to try to make sure yeah. it was more refined and more That's thoughtful right. yeah, and more bulletproof. And mm-hmm. so basically, you know, the reason why I want you here for this is because <clears throat> whatever, you know, objection may arise, you've kind of already thought through that path, at least as far as you know, you know all the objections. <laughs> you've right. kind of worked through them all and you have yeah. what you believe is a good answer and response. So he's going to break down this argument for us, give it to us thoughtfully. And one thing I'll, I'll mention, ooh, almost spilled my coffee. That would be terrible. <laughs> I'd just be afraid I'd fry my computer right now. <laughs> At any rate, um, one thing I want to mention though is when you were a youth pastor, which I may have a little experience of that myself, yeah. <laughs> 13 years, um, actually I was in youth ministry for, uh, for a lot longer than that, but I was as a pastor wow. for 13 years. Anyway, the the thing that I appreciate about you is that you came to a point where you said, I don't know the answers to these questions. And sometimes I think Christian leaders, we feel like we're supposed to be the answer man for everything. And so we don't allow ourselves to be ignorant for a time on an issue. It doesn't mean we're wrong about God. It just means I don't know the answer to this issue. I'm going to go ahead and try to find it. But instead, pastors, there's this pressure, at least in my experience, to have a quick in-your-pocket answer for anything someone says. Answer it within two minutes or less and then move on. And that can actually cause us to have insufficient answers because we haven't given ourselves permission to think something through. Um, So anyway, I I commend you for that. Um, All right. So so Tim, tell us about the argument from free will. Walk us through it all. And then if you guys want more details, we'll tell you uh, later on about uh, Tim's book that's coming out pretty soon. Do you know when the time is on that?
1: I don't know the date yet, but uh, Whitmanstock is publishing it. It's called Human Freedom, Divine Knowledge, and Mere Molinism. And uh, they've got the final edits. I'm waiting on the the book cover art and uh, the release date. So it should be soon.
0: Cool. So, I mean, you know, when you're watching this video, it may already be out. Um, if it is, I'll put a link in the description down below for when it is. And we're not, I mean, this is all just about creating resources for you guys. So we're going to give you as much data and info as possible right now. So let's go ahead and get started. Cool take us away we 're going to have a long video today, and we 're going to get deep into this argument, the philosophical argument from free will, uh, well, from us to free will and from free will to god i 'll put it that way yeah. <laughs> all right so what, what do you want to what do you want to share Tim
1: Yeah, well, uh, like I said it it really came down to uh, what it means to be a free thinker and what it takes to be a free thinker, uh, you know, back in the day when I was first Um, exploring uh, where the evidence uh, leads, and I was talking to atheists all the time. Uh, I wanted to know if atheism was true, you know, but I realized that atheists uh, like to label themselves as free thinkers, but, you know, it it soon hit me that if if one thinks about it, at least if they're free to do so, um, that it seemed that if atheists happen to be right, that God does not exist, then it would be uh, at least highly implausible that there was um, some kind of an immaterial or supernatural aspect of humanity. You know, uh, Christians often refer to this as a soul. We're not the only ones that uh, think we have a soul. Um, but if somebody doesn't like the word soul, just think of it as an immaterial or supernatural aspect of humanity or of the human existence. Sure. Yeah. Um, but, but this led me to the conclusion eventually that, it seems impossible for the atheistic naturalist to to really be a free thinker, even though they like the label. Uh, I say, sure, they can join the club and call themselves free thinkers, but if they happen to be right about atheistic naturalism, then no one can freely think anything, including them. So uh, if if God doesn't exist, you know, it's hard to see how anyone could ever freely think about good evidence and Mm-hmm. and arguments and and choose to deliberate and think rationally you know to evaluate and a weigh and to judge um to reach the most logical conclusions or the inference to the best explanation so tim let me ask, are you yeah.
0: does that mean and I'm, just, I'm going to represent some people in the audience i think here does that mean that you're saying atheists are, are dumb and that they're that they're stupid is that what you're saying they, they can't oh, they're not no. free thinkers because you think that atheists are dumb
1: no not at all i just think they're wrong on this issue, but like I mentioned, there's many Christians who think this way too. So just as I'm going to point out problems uh, with uh, a naturalist who might uh, believe some of these things, I can tweak the same argument and go after uh, my brothers in Christ who think the same things for different reasons. Determinism. So yeah, so you're yeah, really right. saying
0: on de- on determinism, mm-hmm. whether it's physical determinism or divine, de- whatever determinism you have, mm-hmm. that's where you say, okay, well now you can't be a free thinker because that. That worldview doesn't is is not consistent with the conclusion that you are a free thinker. That, that would that's be right. a different argument than saying it's kind of like when you say when I say to the atheist, you know, you don't have objective moral values and duties on your worldview. It never means you are a bad person. No, <laughs> that's, no I mean that's no, a whole no. different issue. Like it's just unrelated. Yeah, yeah.
1: yeah I mean, uh, some of the people that I disagree with on both sides of the theistic aisle. I mean, I can say I, I can look at these people and say, wow, you guys are brilliant um uh, such great thinkers uh, but just making a little mistake right here and i'm sure that i make mistakes on the, i don't i'm not infallible but i've worked really hard over you know i'd say since or uh, over, over the, i've spent the last 8 years laser focusing on this topic um and i could be wrong but uh, i think we'll see as we uh, flesh out the argument that man, there's a really good case here that uh, humans are not always yeah. causally determined. Yeah.
0: All right. Can we get... I'm excited to do it. Can we get into the argument?
1: Yeah. Okay. So this, this is really an argument. Uh, I, I, th- I first crafted it while I was at Biola University. It was either 2011 or 2012, um, right in that area. And I've been thinking... Well, I think i had been thinking about it probably since 2010 or 2011. But I think I first... Pen to paper and got these premises down in 2012. Um, and it, it came after I was dwelling upon what it means to freely think in a libertarian sense. So I need to define that. Yeah. Um, so before I share the argument, uh, let me explain what I mean by libertarian. Uh, free will or uh, libertarian freedom. When I use the word libertarian, I'm not talking about politics. A lot of people think I'm going straight into politics and I care about politics. And in fact, sometimes I think uh, these metaphysical views do uh, and should um, be applied to politics um, because metaphysics is a study of ultimate reality and we should want our uh, politics to correspond to reality. Um, But I'm not talking about politics today. I'm focused on uh, what What it means to have libertarian freedom in a philosophical sense, so um, there's two uh, definitions of libertarian freedom um, that are typically uh, referenced in academia. Uh, one is uh, i 'll just call it a, a person who has an ability to do otherwise possesses libertarian freedom so it 's that ability to do otherwise. That people focus on—that's uh, you know the technical uh, term for that is the principle of alternative possibilities. That's abbreviated quite often as the PAP or the PAP. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, but that just refers to one's ability to do otherwise. So that's so like again, if I'm
0: if I'm like at uh, an ice cream <laughs> shop and I, and they're asking what flavor do I want, and I say chocolate, I really mm-hmm. could have said vanilla. Like I had the ability to, to say vanilla, and I said chocolate.
1: That's right. Okay. You really could have uh, chosen other than chocolate. Mm -hmm. Um, And there's so many different kinds of uh, thought experiments uh, that we could do, but ice cream is always a a good one to start with. That's just where I go right away. Yeah, (laughs) that's right. Excuse me. All right, the second one, that's the the ability to do otherwise version of libertarian freedom. Mm -hmm. The second uh, definition uh, simply refers to a person who is simply uncaused, Or not causally determined. You know, if you are not causally determined at any point in your life, then at that point in your life, you possess libertarian freedom. And that's referred to as sourcehood freedom. Sourcehood libertarian freedom. That means you are the source of a specific thought or action. And so if you're the source, even if you can't do otherwise for some weird, strange, or odd reason, if you're the source and nothing else is causally determining you then you've still got libertarian freedom. So for example if i can demonstrate that a that a person at least sometimes possesses the ability to think or act otherwise well then i've demonstrated that this person possesses libertarian freedom. But with with that said you know suppose that i can't prove that the, i can't prove the ability to do otherwise but I can prove or or demonstrate that there's no causal strings attached to to a person. Well, if I've done that much, then I've shown that this person is still free in the libertarian sense. So with that said, um, I typically spend a lot of time uh, defending a specific definition of libertarian freedom that seems to entail both versions of uh, libertarianism. And, And I simply say that libertarian freedom is the ability to choose between or among a range of alternative options, each of which is compatible with one's nature at a given moment. So I'll say that one more time. Libertarian freedom is the ability to choose between or among a range of alternative options, each of which is compatible with one's nature at a given moment. And, uh, you know, there's some people who say, well, we've still got free will, but, um, not libertarian freedom, we've got compatibilistic freedom. And that just simply means that there's, they think that there's only one thing compatible with your nature at a given moment. And I say, well, why think a thing like that? Why can't we have a range of alternative options, each of which is compatible with our nature at a given moment? And I argue that we do in my book. But um, – So that what the description
0: you give sounds like it's consistent with the PAP version, (laughs) where I I could the principle of all alternative possibilities, and that's that's the version you defend, right?
1: I defend both of them. Uh, Yeah, I I I guess both because one is included in the other. That's right. Um, I just simply say, look, there's sometimes when uh, all that's needed is sourcehood, Mm -hmm. and if there's ever a time where I can't demonstrate the the PAP. if I can still demonstrate sourcehood, I still win. I still get libertarian freedom. Yeah. But I, I give arguments for both in my book. I argue both for sourcehood and uh, at other times, at least at some times, you've got to have the, the principle of alternative possibilities. Um, now, let me, so, let me throw something well, um, out here. I, I, I okay. think that the—and maybe I'm wrong, but I think that the average person
0: does think we have free will. I think it's a very yep. commonsensical thing. I think it's just super obvious to us. And I realize that when you step into the realm of philosophy, there's things that are very obvious and probably very true that are sometimes also hard to tr- hard to prove. <laughs> and right. uh, and then I think a lot of normal people are just like, yeah, I have free will. I make choices all the time. My yeah. personal experience, and yeah, that does matter, of me making choices every day proves to me that I have free will. I, I I'm reacting and deciding and, you know, and and so I, I think in that sense, you have an easy case to make for free will for most people. Yeah. But then for other people, you have this massive mountain to climb because right. they're going to really fight you on it. Is, is, would yeah. you would you think that that's a good or correct or accurate view of things?
1: I, I do believe that you're exactly right. Uh, it's intuitive to us. It's, I'd say it's intuitively obvious mm. that uh, we're not being causally determined by something or someone else when you choose Coke or Pepsi um, you, you have the sense that, yeah, I'm going to choose Coke today, but I could have chosen Pepsi. Mm-hmm. Um, so I remember the first time when somebody told me that I don't have free will, uh, this was another Christian, by the way, an exhaustive divine determinist. Mm-hmm. And he sat down and I was like, wait, you're telling me that when I'm at the fast food restaurant and I go up to get a drink and I'm looking at all these different options and I can, you know, hold my cup underneath each of them. You're saying that I don't have the ability that I can only choose one thing. And he goes, Yep, that's exactly right. And I'm like, No way, I resisted it. But he kept then trying to tell me from a biblical standpoint how we don't have it. Now I think he's dead wrong. But at that time, he convinced me. But it took a lot of work on his part. And, you know, that's when I came to fight against
0: all that intuition that you had that says, But I make choices all the time. That's (laughs) right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. And so this doesn't mean we make everything we do as a decision, it just means that we are making choices. Yeah, And, um, yeah, I, I, so you could actually, we could actually spend the whole, like two hours talking about proving free will. Um, and I do know you have an argument for that. And would you, should I put that on the screen for people to look at or am I cutting cutting off stuff that you wanted to share?
1: Yeah. You know, first I should probably just say before we get to that, that, uh, you know, libertarianism or this libertarian free will, it's rejected by most of the world's leading naturalists and, and atheists, Mm. uh, said, you know, uh, Richard Dawkins, Sam Harris, Daniel Dennett, uh, Alex Rosenberg, uh, Jerry Coyne, Sean Carroll, uh, Dan Barker, who my friend, colleague, and boss Braxton Hunter <laughs> just debated on this topic, on this mm-hmm. very topic on free will, yep. uh, and of you course the late, job. yeah, yeah, he really did, um, the late Stephen Hawking also rejected libertarian freedom. No, so I could, the the list of these naturalists could go on and on and on. Mm -hmm. And not to mention, Mike, I I saw your Twitter feed yesterday. And I saw all these atheists and naturalists uh, commenting on, uh, you you know, you tweeted about this conversation we were going to have. And and so I skimmed down and I looked at so many of the comments. And I'm like, well, they're all affirming that at least the vast majority of them were affirming that, yeah, we're, uh, of course, we don't have free will. Uh, And some of them are saying, there's no way we could you know have libertarian freedom Mm -hmm. and things like that and so i'm going to push back on that and show why i think they're wrong Mm um so again i i did explain at the beginning um what a naturalist was but again a naturalist is is one who simply affirms the proposition that all that exists is nature um and then they it follows from that that god
0: by and by nature i mean could Anyway, by nature, people know yeah. what we mean, right? We're talking about the physical universe and the forces, right. of, you know, that are that are active in it, right? Yeah.
1: yeah. Uh, I like to say it this way. Um, all that could be uh, tested or possibly discovered through science, mm-hmm. uh, that's what they, they believe is all that exists. Right. Um, and so these folks usually say that science is the only way to know, which is um, got problems to make a statement like that. That ultimately is uh, – uh, will shoot itself in the foot because you can't know that in the mm-hmm. true science. But that's right. Um, <laughs> Scientism is self refuting. Uh, it, it is. That's right. right. That's right. Um, but uh, so, so if one starts with the assumption that nature is all that exists, then that rules out God from the beginning because God, by definition, is other than nature because he was the creator of all nature if mm-hmm. he exists, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so then if all that exists is nature, then God, God's just ruled out. And so these naturalists are atheists, um, and and I want you, I want people to see that it's a con- or it's not a conclusion it's a it's an assumption or a presupposition that they start with that n- um, nature is all that exists and therefore God doesn't exist. So, but just to be clear, um, all naturalists are atheists. But although the majority of atheists seem to be naturalists, one could be an atheist and still think that some immaterial or supernatural realities exist. Uh, they're very rare, few and far between, but uh, they, they could exist. And and my takeaway
0: on that, my takeaway on that is that it seems to me that the naturalists are saying there's no free will because they're naturalists or because of their assumptions and their prior beliefs about Mm -hmm. no God and just scientifically testable things in the universe. And, um, uh, and, the, and so that really, it's, it's not as though they don't believe in free will and that made them naturalists, right? This is rather their, their, their worldview is affecting their opinion on free will, which is overcoming their natural intuition that free will is a real thing. I think you're right. Yeah. Which I actually talked about this last week did in a video I did on, on atheism and how um, all these arguments for atheism, there was this article, this really um, poor article on what you know, top atheists and their best arguments against God, and I did a whole video on it. And basically, the majority of the arguments were assuming atheism to prove atheism. And here, if your argument against free will is naturalism's true, therefore free will, but but that that can become a circular thing if you don't have an actual case for naturalism in addition yeah. to it. Um, so yeah, anyway,
1: yeah, yeah, so um, you know, since it's possible to be an atheist but not a naturalist since all naturalists are atheists um, typically when i throughout the rest of this talk when i if i say the word atheism i'm meaning a naturalist mm-hmm. um, but anyway um so let's focus on these naturalistic atheists that permeate society today um, these these folks say that free will in a libertarian sense is nothing but an illusion um, Now, I will say this. I've met a a couple (laughs) or or maybe a handful, a small handful who disagree, and I think they're right to disagree. But uh, I'll I'll discuss that later. But let's start with uh, something that Stephen Hawking uh, wrote. He said, quote, it's hard to imagine how free will can operate if our behavior is determined by physical law. So it seems that we are no more than biological machines and that free will is just an illusion. Human behavior is indeed determined by the laws of nature and our actions are as determined as the order or the orbits of the planets. So that's uh, that's Hawking's quote right there. Our actions are as determined as the orbits of the planets. So that got my attention when I first read that. Mm-hmm. Uh, then I... I read Sam Harris's book uh, called Free Will, and so he, you know, Sam Harris, he's looked at as a, a new atheist philosopher and neuroscientist, and he's a best-selling author. And I got to say, I really, uh, I, I like Sam Harris. He might be my favorite atheist. <laughs> um, uh, you know, I, I think he's been doing some really good work, just talking about the culture today, and you know, all that the violence and riots that are in the streets right now. And I think he said some good things about that. Um, but when it comes to free will, and obviously I disagree with his atheism, um, I think he makes some big mistakes. Uh, and in fact, I'd say that his book was probably the main catalyst for my uh, doctoral dissertation. Um, so I kind of owe Sam Harris here. Um, but let's look at what Sam Harris says in his book entitled, Free Will. He concludes that we don't have it. He says, quote, "'Free will is an illusion. Our wills are simply not of our own making. Thoughts and intentions emerge from background causes of which we are unaware and over which we exert no conscious control. We do not have the freedom we think we have. Either our wills, you know, not to mention our thoughts and beliefs, are are determined by prior causes and we are not responsible for them,' Or they are the product of chance, and we are not responsible for them. End quote. Uh, I threw I threw in that part about not to mention our thoughts and beliefs because he does say. Let, let me go back to what he says at the beginning. He says thoughts and intentions emerge from background causes of which we are unaware and over which we exert no conscious control. So everything you think, right, and intentions intentionality refers to uh, an ofness or aboutness. So. Uh, everything you think of and about, and exactly how you think of and about it, well, according to Sam Harris here, he says they emerge from background causes of which we are unaware and over which we exert no conscious control. So That's huge. again, yeah, it's huge, and I think it's uh, it's going to destroy this the, the case for naturalism. So we'll unpack that, but it seems that a majority of atheists and naturalists agree that things external to humanity govern and control everything about humanity. So according to them, this determining, as Harris made clear, includes the thoughts, wills, and intentions of humanity. Now, I got to say, I think he's right that if naturalism is true, that's what would follow. Mm -hmm. Um, But Harris and company are saying that something other than humanity, other than you, Uh, causes and determines all the thoughts and beliefs in your head right now, all the thoughts and beliefs you've ever had um, up to this point, and all the thoughts and beliefs you're going to have in the future. None of it is up to you. It's all up to other stuff. So here's the rub. If your thoughts and intentions are always caused and determined by external factors, then something other than you always causally determines exactly what you think of and about and exactly how you think of and about it. And that's so important. Let me let me say that again. If all thoughts and intentions are caused and determined by external factors, then something other than the self, you know, the thing you refer to as I, right, something other than you always causally determines exactly what you think of and about and exactly how you think of and about it. And that, when I say how you think of and about it, that's huge because now that gets into how you, how you evaluate things or judge things or weigh things or how you deliberate on a matter. It's not up to you. It's up to something else. Yeah. Uh,
0: <clears throat> so like in other words, let's say that um, I read a book and uh, in reading the book, I, I, I change my mind on an issue. Uh, on Sam Harris's explanation, I had no choice. Like I was going to change my mind when I read those combinations of letters, it would trigger different synapses and certain firings, just like a ball rolling down a hill, it has no choice about where it ends. And all, all right. of my all of my thoughts, all of the things that I believe are predetermined uh, in a sense based on my chemistry, and then I just certain inputs go in and it causes certain reactions and I'm I'm more like I'm not the guy driving the car of my opinions. I'm a passenger and it's just nature and nurture that are driving the car. And I'm just kind of, yeah. so I'm not, I'm not actually having opinions uh, that I form. I'm experiencing opinions that are being formed without my control.
1: Yeah. You're a passive observer. Uh, I like to say all you're left to on this view is a mere bag of beliefs, none of which are up to the bag. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, you know, so again, These naturalists, the majority of atheists, uh, they proclaim that uh, freedom or simply free will or, you know, again, in a libertarian sense is an illusion. So, you know, this raises a couple big questions. Do we actually have this kind of free will, this libertarian freedom? And if so, how would we know? How could we know? Is it something we can know? And so as I see it, uh, of all the arguments that have been developed in support of libertarian freedom, and I've offered several of them in my book. I've crafted several of them. Um, again, my book is called Human Freedom, Divine Knowledge, and Mere Molinism. It'll be out soon. Um, but of all the arguments that have been developed in support of libertarian freedom, there seems to be one that I thinks or I think that I think rules them all. And that reason stems from the very ability to reason. And in fact, I've argued that human beliefs can be rationally affirmed or argued only if humans possess libertarian freedom. So this gets us into that argument uh, called the free thinking argument. And so, uh, yeah, this is a, it's only two premises and a conclusion. So it's pretty simple. Uh, this is the okay. first one I, I'll put it I up on by. the screen here. Okay. So, uh, I think this is the one I, I first just wrote this out in my classroom at Biola in 2012. Um, and called it the free-thinking argument. It goes like this. Premise one, if humans – well, I I should say I didn't word it just like this. I've tweaked the wording over the years. So in my master's thesis, the wording was different, and I realized there was some weakness there in how it was worded. Uh, So now I've I've changed the wording. You mentioned that I've changed it as I've gone on. But uh, So premise one, if humans do not possess libertarian freedom – then humans do not possess the ability to rationally infer and rationally affirm knowledge claims. Premise two humans do possess the ability to rationally infer and rationally affirm knowledge claims. Right, who's going to disagree with that one? So, conclusion therefore, humans possess libertarian freedom. So, this short syllogism is eye opening because it deductively concludes something that's been debated yeah it's been debated for centuries. Um so if this argument stands and I believe it does, I mean really, I mean I, I think it's one of the most powerful metaphysical arguments I've ever seen. Um but I, I guess I'm I might be biased. <laughs> I might <laughs> I might be causally determined to think that. <laughs> um but I, I think I think we'll uh, unpack it and people will see why I think that. Yeah. But Again, if this argument stands, and I think it does, then the centuries-long debate is finally over. So I'm I'm kind of excited about that. Okay, Uh, so
0: just for those who aren't familiar with like a syllogism type argument, um, this isn't the defense of the argument. This is just the argument, right? So it's like if one and two are true and three follows from one, then his case has been made. And so it's like, you know, taking the concepts and smashing them out there, breaking them down, whittling them down until it's like, this is all I really need to prove my point.
1: I don't think you can argue against it, Mm -hmm. Um, but, and if I'm right about that, then I I said, you know, this debate that's been raging for centuries uh, is finally over. At least sometimes we've got libertarian free will. Not everything is uh, causally determined, or Mm -hmm. or, so we can say exhaustive determinism is false, but I wasn't content with uh, just demonstrating that humans possess libertarian freedom, which was pretty cool. Uh, by itself, but I sent. I, I got this feeling that there was more available to uncover, and, and I think it was right. So I simply added two premises, two additional premises, which then gave us two additional deductive conclusions, and one abductive conclusion that's pretty powerful and attention-getting. So this argument isn't just the free-thinking argument. This now is the free-thinking argument against naturalism. So. Uh, I'll share that. Um, you want to put that up on the screen too? There it is. There you
0: go. All right. So premise one. All right. And let me just say, you guys, I think this is a great argument and I think that we should, we should listen to it thoughtfully and pay attention to it. Um, so please take the time. And uh, actually, I, I know my audience, a lot of these the people watching, they're excited to hear these thoughtful, you know, here's an argument I know this is a long video, but I wanted it to be long because I want to hear it all. And so anyway, go for it, Tim.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I don't know if you're going to get it all, but you're going to get a lot of it today. Yeah. Um, If you want it all, you got to buy the book. So sorry. Another plug. Had to do it. Um, (laughs) All right. So the first premise goes like this. If naturalism is true, human nature does not include an immaterial soul. Premise two, if human nature does not include an immaterial soul then humans do not possess libertarian freedom. Three, if humans do not possess libertarian freedom, then humans do not possess the ability to rationally infer and rationally affirm knowledge claims. So that was the first premise of the last argument. Now it's number three, and so this is what I call the core of the argument. Uh, So then premise four is humans do possess the ability to rationally infer and rationally affirmed knowledge claims. So now we've got some uh, deductive conclusions here. So, So five says, therefore, humans possess libertarian freedom. Six, therefore, human nature includes an immaterial soul. And seven, therefore, naturalism is false. And then eight, the best explanation of human libertarian freedom and the soul is the biblical view of God. Now that's an abductive conclusion. An abductive conclusion doesn't follow deductively; <laughs> otherwise, it'd be a deductive conclusion. Mm-hmm. But as, so, so abductive conclusions are not as strong or as forceful as deductive con- as deductive conclusions. But what it does is it simply uh, shows the best explanation of all the data. Uh, it's really the beginning of a new argument mm-hmm. that one can add to the deductive conclusions uh, from the free thinking argument against naturalism. But it's based on the deductive conclusions of the argument. So with that said, and for the moment, uh, I think it'd be cool to just focus on steps one through seven. Mm -hmm. And then if we have time, we can unpack the abductive conclusion. All right. Is that cool?
0: Sounds great, yeah.
1: All right. So the first thing I want to point out is that uh, this is a structurally valid deductive syllogism through step seven. Um, So that, that means it's set up correctly. But the, but but is it a sound argument? That means, in addition to it, its structure being correct, are the premises true?
2: Yeah.
1: Or at least uh, more likely true than false. Really, yeah. that's all you need for a good argument: is premises that seem to be more likely true than false. Right. Um, so the first three steps of the argument are rather straightforward. So, in summary, uh, premise one is synonymous with. If naturalism is true, nature is all that exists. Now that's true by definition, if you remember. <laughs> so uh, the f- first premise is simply synonymous with if naturalism is true, nature is all that exists. Uh, I don't get much pushback <laughs> with that premise <laughs> uh, premise right. two premise two is tantamount to the following: uh, if all that exists is nature, then everything about humanity is causally determined by forces and events outside of human control, right? These, these things would include, uh, for example, the forces of nature, the initial conditions of the big bang, uh, perhaps some quantum mechanics <laughs> or quantum events. Now, um, now very few atheists will disagree with that. Uh, in fact, most atheists affirm it. So if you recall, that's exactly, uh, what Sam Harris was arguing for, uh, and that's what his colleagues make, and not to mention all the atheists mm-hmm. on your Twitter feed yesterday, or at least yes. the vast majority, majority of them, right? Yeah, it, it, so, they,
0: they just they naturally see that their atheism is not consistent with libertarian freedom,
1: right? Yeah, so I'm I'm simply taking what these atheists are saying. Um, I, I, I'm I'm believing them here. I, I'm I'm simply taking what they say. What they say is the case, and I make it a premise of my argument. Mm-hmm. So I really don't need to defend much time defending this premise because atheists typically defend it for me and they write entire books defending this premise. So mm-hmm. so with that said, let's move to the next premise because right. this one, premise three, is usually the first to be attacked. And I think that's a, a horrible mistake. And there's some other atheist philosophers who realize this mistake. I do quote them in my book. Um, now, I should say... Atheist scientists uh, usually will uh, affirm this premise um, more quickly than the atheist philosopher, because some of these atheist philosophers are like, "Oh, wait a second, i don't I don't know if we can uh, affirm this premise, but many of them still do. Uh, even you know, I, I should say many of these atheist philosophers affirm it anyway. but or I should say, attack this premise." So, premise three, usually the first to be attacked, um, it communicates the following, that if something outside of human control causally determines you to affirm a false belief, then it would be impossible for you to infer or affirm a better or true belief. Think about that. If so, something I, only get, ha- I only have yeah. one
0: option for what I believe, and that right. that belief that option that i'm going to end up holding is caused by something other than me making a decision or me evaluating yep. evidence it's just caused by like a ball rolling down a hill type of events right
1: and and when you feel like you are evaluating well guess what you're not doing it something else is causally determining how you evaluate it mm. so even dominoes when you stop falling. Down,
0: <laughs> what's that dominoes are falling as i think well, i'm evaluating yeah, I mean,
1: Uh, determinists hate that analogy, but it really is uh, pretty good when you think about it. But if something outside of human control causes and determines you to affirm a false belief, then it would be impossible for you to infer or affirm a better or true belief. And that just seems indisputable. I mean, think about it. Um, If all things are outside of, of human control, then that includes exactly what every human always thinks of and about and exactly how each human always thinks of and about it so i mean that that's to say you know if all things are causally determined by something other than humanity then that includes all the thoughts and beliefs held by humanity and if a person's thoughts and beliefs you know if they're forced upon him and he could not have chosen better thoughts and beliefs then like you said He's simply left passively assuming, um, not that he could do otherwise, that his determined thoughts and beliefs are good, Mm -hmm. and let alone that his beliefs are true. But if that's the case, then no one could ever uh, rationally affirm or argue that his beliefs really are the inference to the best explanation, because this could only be assumed. And again, this assumption would likewise be caused and determined and forced upon him by something other than him. Mm-hmm. it 's not like he could assume otherwise, so really, this is a huge problem
0: yeah so it 's like we believe things, assholes. but we don 't actually know anything, and we, we, we hold opinions, oh. but we had no control over wh- how we got the opinion, we have no control over what opinion we 're holding, and what what seems or feels intuitively, and I would argue it really is like we 're evaluating evidence and considering and using reason is really just chemical, inevitable, unstoppable processes that are taking place due to external factors. And uh, therefore, someone who says, an atheist who says, like, I read the Bible and I and I think that um, God is malicious. Like, this is the Richard Dawkins version, right? Yeah. You would, you would say, well, but you didn't arrive to that conclusion on your worldview. You didn't arrive to that conclusion through rational right. thinking. The dominoes fell and that's where they landed.
1: Yeah, physics and chemistry fizzed and popped and caused Richard Dawkins to be an atheist mm-hmm. and physics and chemistry, according to this view, fizzed and popped and caused you to be a biblical thinker. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, not that you are according to them, really thinking things through, but physics and chemistry caused, and is. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Physics and yeah. chemistry caused you to be a Christian uh, and physics and chemistry caused Richard Dawkins to be an atheist. So that's what it comes down to. Yeah. And I like how you said it there, Mike, you, you said, uh, We've got these beliefs, but we really can't know anything. Mm-hmm. Is that what you said? Yeah. yeah, uh, now, let me explain that. <clears throat> uh, so this really comes down to justification for our beliefs. So uh, we, the atheist, if naturalistic determinism is correct, as we've seen there, we don't have justification for any of our beliefs on this view. Uh, now to make matters worse. If justification is required for knowledge, or at least some kinds of knowledge, then, then this knowledge um, becomes an illusion. This knowledge is illusory. Like you said, we don't know anything. So atheists are saying that free will is an illusion, and I'm saying, okay, great. Well, if that's the case, then rationality and knowledge gained via the use of reason or the process of rationality are also illusions. That knowledge gained through Rationality is also an illusion.
0: Mm-hmm. So, the uh, so, belief that free will is an illusion itself, based on the conclusion that free will is an illusion, is a belief that was caused not by rational thinking, but by chemical exactly reactions.
1: Right. Yeah. On that view, that's what they're left with. And so now you've got problems with justification. Mm-hmm. So, uh, let's talk about justification, uh, at least briefly here, We're get, getting into some philosophical waters. Um, and you know, you've got many people who watch your show, Mike, uh, who are, who might know what justification means in the theological sense.
2: Yeah.
1: We're not, I'm not talking about justification in that sense. I'm talking about justification for one's beliefs, uh, that lead to knowledge. So epistemologists are, uh, professional philosophers who, uh, study knowledge and how we gain knowledge and what it means to have knowledge. And so these epistemologists Often define knowledge in simplest terms um, as justified true belief. Now, some contend that maybe more might be required, but most it seems will say that uh, you need these three ingredients: justified true belief uh, hmm. to have knowledge, or, or at least those three ingredients, maybe more, uh, to possess what I refer to as reason based knowledge. Yeah. So, think about it like this: uh, Socrates noted that a, a true belief is good, but it falls short of knowledge, right? A true belief is good, but it's not knowledge. It falls short of knowledge. Knowledge has greater value than mere true belief because it's rationally grounded, right? It's, imagine that it's tied down to the ground, uh, whereas mere true belief is ungrounded. So according to Socrates, knowledge is true belief plus a rational account to ground the belief Mm -hmm. to tie it down. So let me quote him to quote Socrates. He says, quote, true opinions are a fine thing and do all sorts of good so long as they stay in their place, but they will not stay long. They run away from a man's mind, so they are not worth much until you tether them by working out the reason. Once they're tied down, they become knowledge and they're stable That is why knowledge is something more valuable than right opinion. What Mm -hmm. distinguishes one from the other is the tether, end quote. Mm -hmm. So think of that tether as you're tying it down to the ground. Now, I like to refer to this process of rationality leading to reason-based knowledge as, uh, I describe it like this, the the steps one takes while deciding uh, what one ought to believe and what one ought to affirm, Right. That's what, when, I'm, when I talk about the process of rationality, that's a good way how I like to describe it. Mm-hmm. It's the steps uh, that you're taking while you are deciding what you ought to believe. So think about that ought there, that you ought to believe and what you ought to affirm. Um, now, if, if exhaustive determinism is true, and something other than you causally determines everything about you, then you are not in charge of these rational steps They're being determined for you by something other than you. And that's a big problem when it comes to justification. So, uh, you know, let's put justification in terms that many might relate to. If you've ever had a math class, you know, think about being back in in high school, uh, taking a math class. And and the teacher gives the students a multiple choice quiz of one complex story problem. Uh, The teacher wants to see if... If his students know how to solve the the story problem. So the first student was like me in high school and didn't understand the problem at all. But I did a lot of guessing in high school. And uh, and so even though the first student doesn't understand the problem, the story problem whatsoever, it's a multiple choice uh, quiz. And so he guesses and he circles C, right? Well, guess what? C was always my go-to. That's right. It's got to be your go-to. <laughs> and and guess what? It worked. Uh, C happened to be correct. Now he circles the correct answer on the paper, but does this student know the answer? Does he possess knowledge? No. Of course not. All right. So let's go to the next student. The next student doesn't understand the problem either, but he knows his neighbor to the right. Uh, she's pretty smart. So, He cheats, right? We don't recommend that, but, you know, he's cheating. He's looking on his neighbor's paper. He sees that she circled C, so he's like, all right, I'm going to do the same thing. Mm -hmm. Circled C. Well, guess what? The answer is correct. But does he know the answer? No. No, he doesn't possess knowledge. Mm -hmm. Well, finally, let's talk about this last student. Uh, She understands the story problem just fine, but she goes further. She shows her work in the margins, right? She's uh, cranking out all the numbers and, uh, and showing how it works, showing her work leading to the correct answer. And she circles C. Does she possess knowledge? Yeah, of course she does. The fact, and the fact that she showed her work is the tether that demonstrates to her teacher Mm -hmm. and to herself that she possesses knowledge of reality. Now, One may happen to possess true beliefs, but if he doesn't possess a proper justification or a tether for a specific belief and his true beliefs are simply based on luck, then his belief does not qualify as a knowledge claim, even if it happens to be true. So think about physics and chemistry, fizzing and popping. Talk about luck. Physics and chemistry might cause somebody to hold a true belief, but it's based on luck. Mm -hmm. It's not based on knowledge. If that if if that's what causally determines everything, then you're you're in a we're all in a world of hurt. We don't possess knowledge. We might have some true beliefs, right? You might be able to cross the street without getting hit by a car, right? You might have some true beliefs, but uh, we've got some big problems here because if one cannot freely think and for the best explanation among a range of alternative options that are each compatible with one's nature. Then there can be no justification that their specific belief really is the best explanation. Yeah, you, I, wonder think if,
0: about- I wonder if we could take your analogy and apply it to this situation in an, in an additional way, and say that we're given a test, and it's not multiple choice. All it is is the only answer is C every time, and uh-huh. and that would be probably more like what we have coming at us. It's like well, the ink and the and the chemicals and the printing of the test might represent like our environment and our chemistry, and then we're always going to fill it out the same way, whether that's the right answer, wrong answer or not.
1: Yeah, that's interesting. Um, So, so you can always guess C no matter what, because that's your only option. That's because, uh, because, but that's just, uh, that's the only thing that's compatible with one's nature. Now here's the thing. Let's go back and and, uh, assume that there's uh, four options on that multiple choice quiz. And, Let's say C is the right answer, but the only answer compatible with your nature for some reason is B, right? So Mm -hmm. for some reason, if B is the only answer compatible with your nature given everything about the universe, then – and you will affirm B as the correct answer no matter what. Mm -hmm. uh, Then even though the correct answer was C, you have no ability to, uh, conclude that C is true, even though it is true. And so, so now all you're left with is assuming that B is true. And that assumption is not up to you either. So yeah, it it quickly becomes, you know, the problem gets bigger and bigger as we go here. Um, so really, uh, justification is, is we see that we lose justification on this deterministic view.
0: Mm -hmm. Um, And that's, that's premise three there.
1: Yes, so um, yeah, so did you want to add to that uh
0: no i i mean i I think it follows it's it, it's a it's a new idea for most of us. It's just like this is yeah. this is the premise where I go, okay, well, you need to explain that. I think you explain it well i i you will have opinions, you will think you have knowledge, or at least we appear to or at least we think we appear to, but we only think we appear to because everything we think is forced upon us, so we just ultimately. We can't really affirm that we're rationally working through anything
1: and 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 therefore we lose justification. Right. I'm not saying that you never have true beliefs. Mm -hmm. A lot of people uh, attack this argument and say, oh, you're saying that I can't have a true belief. Mm -hmm. No, I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying that you don't, that you cannot rationally infer and rationally affirm claims of knowledge. And I'm explaining why. And and let me add this major point. Um, Since these naturalistic events, um, you know, the, the, fizzing and popping of physics and chemistry, if you will. These naturalistic events are not intentionally aimed at truth. And these naturalistic events then Mm -hmm. uh, would determine all of your thoughts and beliefs. Uh, If that's the case, then your thoughts and beliefs are not reliable. So that's what I'm arguing for here. It's reliability. Your thoughts, if, if, you know, physics and chemistry isn't aimed at anything, it just fizzes and pops. Now, That's not about a, those?
0: What about those who would t- who would say to you? Um, but Tim, you know, evol- evolution has has caused us to arrive at the state we're at now. And in evolution, its survival and reproduction are the wow. main things. And I think that rational thinking would aid survival and increase the likelihood that you'll produce offspring. Um, and then, what would your response to
1: that be? Yeah, well, this gets us back to Alvin Plantinga's evolutionary argument against naturalism. Mm-hmm. And I think that argument's pretty good because what it does is it shows that our beliefs on evolutionary naturalism, um, that these beliefs are not aimed at truth, they're aimed at survival. right. And so uh, you've got to um, this kind of undercuts your uh, uh, your ability to know things once you realize that your beliefs are aimed at truth. however, um, one could counter that and say, yeah, but given survival, it seems that we would survive better if we were uh, having true beliefs. But my argument, um, the, the free-thinking argument against naturalism, although similar to planning is, I think it's I, – I feel like this is almost uh, heretical to say or blasphemous, but I think it's slightly stronger <laughs> uh, than – Planning as evolutionary argument against naturalism. (laughs) For those who don't
0: know, planning it is like a massive philosophical heavyweight. Yeah, Uh, I will never massive, massive, massive. And so, uh, Tim, you're you are now anathema.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I I will let me say, Uh, he's one of my heroes. I will never pretend to be anywhere as close to as smart as him. I'm just saying, this argument seems to be a little bit stronger. And
0: and the bottom line is, is that what 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 the what the what the naturalist is affirming on one hand is evolution is aimed at reproduction right, right. that's that it's not even actually survival exactly it's reproduction that's the
1: thing surviving so you can reproduce yeah,
0: it's all just re- which is why something that dies while reproducing is a evolutionary win right? yeah um, <laughs> and so um it's, it's aimed at reproduction and so to say um i i'm gonna i'm gonna stretch being aimed at reproduction to to being aimed at forming thoughtful rational philosophical beliefs is just it's just not really warranted. That's a big jump. That's a very big jump that we're making there. And, um, yeah. and at any rate, um, please, so, wait, should, we, should we actually on to number four?
1: We spent a lot of time uh, on three. Yeah, I'll just quickly say that on, I mean, on, I mean, so Plantinga shows that those beliefs are uh, not aimed at truth because they're aimed at survival. Mm-hmm. But on, but when you back it up, when you look at the foundation here. And it's just, you know, if it's physics and chemistry and maybe some quantum mechanics running the entire show, those aren't aimed at anything. So that's why I say it's even more of a problem. Mm -hmm. And and so bottom line, one cannot determine what he ought to believe if something else determines what he will believe. Um, You know, and I need – Can I share a a mad scientist thought experiment with you before we go on to the final? Yeah, and and I I know
0: that when you're, we talked about this before, I think this is a good aid. For those who were kind of like, okay, well, help me put this all in a nutshell in a big picture illustration. I think this this mad scientist illustration helps us do that where we're we're at
1: now. Mad scientists are so helpful. Um, And there's many mad scientist uh, thought experiments out there. This is uh, one unique to me, one that I crafted to try to uh, make my point. So I say... Suppose a mad scientist somehow gets access to your brain. You know, I don't know how he did it. When you were asleep, he implanted some microchips or something like that in your brain. And now, unbeknownst to you, he exhaustively controls and causally determines all of your thoughts and beliefs all the time. This includes exactly what you think of and about and exactly how you think of and about it. All of your thoughts about your beliefs and all of your beliefs about your thoughts are caused and determined by the mad scientist. And this also includes the very next words that are going to come out of your mouth. Question, how can you, not the mad scientist, rationally affirm the current beliefs in your head as good, bad, better, the best, true, or probably true? Now, note the range of options mm-hmm. from which to choose. Right? How can you, not the mad scientist, rationally affirm any of the current beliefs in your head as good, bad, better, the best, true, probably true, without begging the question or reasoning in a circle which is a logical fallacy so good luck with that because it's impossible you, you can't do it because whatever you say in response is not you it's the mad scientist so go ahead and object say anything in response it's not you mm-hmm. it's the mad scientist And i don't want to talk to the mad scientist i want to talk to you so where did you go that, you see the problem?
0: <laughs> oh yeah, I, I I see the problem. Yeah, I, I'm I'm now again. The point is, I'm at the mercy of external things that I, I'm not making choices. I'm not rationally weighing things. I'm just experiencing thoughts.
1: Yeah.
0: Assuming that I, that I even exist, that self isn't an illusion. Well, which oh, yeah, okay, would have, to have the illusion. But I guess that anyway, no, that's another rabbit no. trail. But yeah,
1: I, no, 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 it's not a rabbit trail. I'm so glad you brought that up because this leads. Uh, Some atheists to deny their own existence. I mean think about that I mean, I think it was I think Alex Rosenberg has done that in his book Mm -hmm. called the atheist guide to reality I mean Mm -hmm. in order to deny the existence of God, they have to deny their own existence
0: Yeah, Sam Harris also Daniel Dennett, right those guys self is an illusion Right, but who's having I mean Someone has to be having an illusion
1: (laughs) Yeah so, yeah. so much for I think, therefore I am. Right. I mean, yeah.
0: yeah. <laughs> um, if, so, if I'm having an illusion that I must ex- anyway,
1: <laughs> you're, that's exactly right, Mike. That's great, great, great work there. But look, let's get back to the mad scientist here. Mm-hmm. You can replace the mad scientist uh, with physics and chemistry. Uh, you can replace the mad scientist with God. You can replace the mad scientist with anything else uh, If you do that, you've got the exact same rationality problems, Mm -hmm. but for different reasons. Mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah, I guess now we can shift gears and just say, since humanity does possess the ability to rationally infer and affirm knowledge claims, uh, then we know – I mean, think about this on premise four now. Mm -hmm. Um, We've got to possess the ability to rationally infer and affirm claims of knowledge. And we know this – because to argue otherwise would be to affirm it,
0: mm-hmm. right? And this we is where self awareness comes in, right? Because as soon as I go, I don't have free will. You have to recognize, like, if you try to make an argument for that, you're 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 functionally denying what you are trying to affirm, because you're you're actually saying here's a case for a rational thinking reason to say and affirm that i do not have free yet this is all reliant upon us having some kind of libertarian decision making in our in the way we evaluate a case make a case and make a statement yeah
1: yeah i love how you said the way we evaluate a case well yeah the way we the way the way i evaluate a case well if something else does that for me then i don't do it and that's a major problem And that's why these atheists are denying their own existence um man what a crazy view i mean to to mm-hmm. hold to your guns and deny the existence of God, you have to ultimately deny your own existence. Yeah. In that fact, just seems can, can I
0: rant for just a second? This is one thing that gets me and it drives me nuts is when philosophy professors, and it's usually like low, you know, it, it's like intro to philosophy courses, where on the first day of class, they try to convince the kids that they can't even affirm their own existence. And I'm like, if you're going to start philosophy by denying the most intrinsic common sense things, you know, you're, you're just going to be, you know, you're just giving kids nightmares for no reason. <laughs> like as if they can't affirm their own existence. Right? Um, how do you know you exist? How do you know you weren't made five minutes ago? And I'm just like, look, if if I have to have a yeah. philosophical argument to affirm that I wasn't made five minutes ago, um, right? then I think now we're doing philosophy to- wrong. <laughs>
1: Right. Now that gets us into what uh, uh refers to as properly basic beliefs. Yeah. Uh, There's some things that we can't prove. You, can, you cannot prove that you're not in the matrix right now. Um, but that doesn't mean – and you cannot prove that you weren't created five minutes ago with all these past memories mm-hmm. along with everybody else. Um, uh, but that doesn't mean that you can't say that you possess knowledge, uh, that, uh, that you don't know that the universe is billions of years old.
0: Yeah, so, I like the philosophers that kind of go, hey, I just have certain things that I know, right? And I, I'd rather try yeah. to understand why do I know things rather than trying to right. uh, rebuild my very existence as if I can't take that for granted as like, maybe, maybe you'd use the term properly, basic belief, or, or I, I just like saying common sense. Like it's just obvious, yeah. it's intuitive, I exist. Hello, I'm here. I have a real yeah. history of experiences. And if I have to start by trying to validate all that, then I think I'm just doing things wrong. I should start by saying, yeah. okay, that's the case. How do I explain that?
1: Mm-hmm. I, I like I, I think uh, planning is right in talking about uh, that there are some properly basic beliefs that we don't have to be able to uh, show, that we just know. Mm-hmm. Then he goes on and says that he, you know, why can't God be one of those properly yeah. basic beliefs? Mm-hmm. Um, or maybe even beliefs like Jesus loves me or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't, I'm open to that, but, um, I don't start by saying, well, that has to be one of the, one of the things maybe, maybe he's right. But I just say, uh, we've got properly basic beliefs and then we can build on top of those. Those are uh, like our foundation. And because of the properly basic beliefs that we have, we can start to connect some dots and gain more knowledge.
0: Okay. So wait, let me bring us back on track with number four. So you're saying kind okay. of, I've heard sort of two things in our discussion here. Maybe one was from you and one might've been from me. So reject it if you want. <laughs> but, um, but one was, humans possess the ability to rationally infer and rationally affirm knowledge claims, partially because to even deny this requires that you do it, right? Exactly. So, so to yep. even engage in a discussion about what's true and not true, you have to affirm this. And, and, right. and then my, my thought was, why do I have to defend this? <laughs> Number four, right. it, you, should be, you should be affirming this. Um, to, to, like you said, to deny it is to rely on it, to deny it, which is circular. Yeah. But I, I think this is the kind of thing where we could spin our wheels for years. And it's it it should just be common sense. Like the the seven year old gets it. You should get
1: it. Well, imagine if I said, "Look, uh, premise four: humans do possess the ability to rationally infer and rationally affirm knowledge claims." And my uh, debate partner said, "No, we don't. I do not possess the ability to rationally infer and rationally affirm knowledge claims." I'll say, okay, see you later. This conversation's over, right? That's the, <laughs> the point of a
0: debate. The, whole, yeah, the right. whole premise of a debate is that you can do this. Yeah.
1: yeah. And, if, and if somebody's going to claim, I cannot rationally uh, reach knowledge claims, then why should anybody listen to the ne- anything else that you say? Yeah. And you're saying, I have rationally inferred that I cannot rationally infer anything. Um, so it's self-defeated. defeat. right, number five. So five is a deductive conclusion.
0: All right. So and, now th- those were yeah. all, you know, the, setting it all up. And now, now you're kind of getting some payoff.
1: <laughs> right, right, right. Um, you know, uh, yeah. So so five, you, we can just go through the – should I go through just really quick the whole thing? Um,
0: sure, if you'd like. I can put it all up on screen. Yeah. Yeah,
1: put the whole thing back up. And I'm going to quickly – You know, I I say this is my elevator. If I'm on the elevator with somebody and somebody says, hey, defend your free-thinking argument uh, before we get to the top of the skyscraper. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'll say, okay, here here we are. So I'll say premise one, if naturalism is true, human nature does not include an immaterial soul. That simply means that if naturalism is true, then nature is all that exists. Mm -hmm. Premise two, if human nature does not include an immaterial soul, then humans do not possess libertarian freedom. That means that if everything is nature and only nature, then everything about humanity would be caused and determined by the forces and events of nature. Premise three, if humans do not possess libertarian freedom, then humans do not possess the ability to rationally infer and rationally affirm knowledge claims. Bottom line, if something outside of human control causally determines you to affirm a false belief, then it would be impossible for you to infer or affirm a better or true belief. Premise four, humans do possess the ability to rationally infer and rationally affirm knowledge claims. This premise is simply communicating the fact that you do have the ability to infer and affirm true beliefs and to argue otherwise is self-defeating. It's like telling me, I cannot utter one single sentence in the English language. Well, that's absurd. It's self-referentially defeating. And to affirm the opposite is to have it blow up in your face and destroy your entire case. So since these four premises seem to be true, in fact, they seem to be undeniable, um, uh, we can rationally, rationally declare the next three deductive conclusions as true. So uh, step five says, therefore, humans possess libertarian freedom. Six, therefore, human nature includes an immaterial soul. And seven, therefore, naturalism is false. So that's the argument, Mike. Um, If you'd like me to get into the final abductive conclusion, we can. But I know we've spent a lot of time. What do you think?
0: I, um, I would like to actually get into the final one. I think that's the payoff in a big way. And I really, I know it's a long video. I don't care. And a lot of, I, you know, it's split. Some of the audience is like, man, make a shorter video. And I'm just like, we'll just watch the first five minutes and turn it off. <laughs> um, and then other people are like, longer, more content. All I want is more. And so we'll we'll just, we'll make the content and it'll reach whoever needs it. But um, but this right here, naturalism is false. It, it It's just uh, that... Is a, So far, you're very strong, like you said, deductive, which is a very strong kind of argument. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just follows naturally. Basically, we're saying, look, you have free will. And that means that you have, a, you have like a soul or some immaterial quality to you. Yeah. Um, and, and that's it. Then that means that naturalism is not true. Now, if naturalism itself is not true, how on earth do you explain that? Like, wait, I have an immaterial soul. How do you explain that I have a soul? And your argument here in number eight is, well, the best explanation is a biblical view of God. And yeah. that, to me, is where you're going to get actually probably a lot of pushback from, especially the skeptics. So um, break it down in a way that, say, like, if you would, a, a non-believer would be able to follow your logic here, why you're not just saying, the Bible tells me so. Um, right. And, you know, I mean, although I, I think, I mean, I believe the Bible is inspired. So the Bible tells me so is enough for me. Right. <laughs> but right. But I recognize that I want to meet someone where they're at. And this is an argument that doesn't rely on that. This is yeah. an argument that just travels through free will to an immaterial soul or something like that, to God, a biblical view of God being the best explanation of that. So yeah, take us take us through eight if you would.
1: All right. Um, yeah, I, I, uh, first to say um, that I've had some debates with atheist philosophers and philosophy students in the past and they've wound up agreeing with steps one through seven. Um, they just rejected the final abductive conclusion. Mm-hmm um that they they even these atheists they they left naturalism and realized okay yeah there's got to be some immaterial aspect of humanity uh that makes sense of this libertarian freedom that we have yeah Uh, that's at least they would say that at least the best explanation but they weren't willing uh to to go here but i think that we can say uh that the best explanation of human libertarian freedom and the soul is a biblical view of God. I used to just say it's God. But mm-hmm. then as I as I studied scripture, I'm like, nah, it's the biblical view of God. This makes better sense than other forms of theism. Yeah. Um, so why should we think that step eight is true? I'm not going to start with scripture. I'm, I want to end there. Mm-hmm. So why is the biblical view of God the inference to the best explanation? Wait,
0: just to pause. So when you mm-hmm. say I'm not going to start with scripture, I'm going to end there. I think for the audience, what Oh, I just want you guys to catch this in case in case you don't see what he's saying. Um, <laughs> he's saying that he's going to argue philosophically that this gives us a type of uh, understanding of who God is. It gives us some elements, some things to know about God. And those things match the biblical God, right? So we're getting to those conclusions through this philosophical argument. That's and right. then we're just matching philosophy up to scripture and saying it fits.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, well said. Yeah. So I want to show why the biblical view of God is the inference to the best explanation of the data. And right now we've, we've seen that uh, well we've got good philosophical reasons to think uh, that there's some immaterial aspect to humanity and that we've got libertarian freedom. So I'm going to say, what, what's the best explanation of this? So <clears throat> recall that the entire previous discussion has been argued without appealing to the Bible or any other religious book it's been based on logic alone. I don't think I've referenced a single Bible verse to this point, have mm-hmm.
0: I? I don't. I don't believe so.
1: I don't think so. So uh, I, I typically when I go uh, and, and speak on university campuses, I make it clear. I said, do you, "Does anybody see a Bible up here?" And I'll say, "Look, I've got my backpack over there, and I do have a Bible in there, but I've left it in there because I want to make a case for the Bible without using the Bible." <laughs> you know, or That's right. or. or External,
0: okay. <laughs> We want to call this external um, experiential and philosophical confirmation that mm-hmm. the biblical teaching on God
1: is true. Exactly. Exactly. I say that pastors should start with scripture, but as a philosophically inclined systematic theologian, I don't start with scripture. I end there. So that's what I'm going to do here. I want to end with scripture and show, look, this, look at everything we've concluded through logic. And then let's see what the Bible says. And we're like, oh, wow, this is – we're talking about the same thing here. Mm -hmm. Um, So having then argued and deductively concluded that the uh, immaterial human soul exists, uh, the question – the next question raised is this. uh, Like I said, what's the best explanation? Um, Because really, I mean, if you think about it, naturalistic evolution – seems to be an unlikely candidate to account for the existence of a supernatural soul, right? Or an immaterial anything. So a better explanation is required. Uh, Specifically, what is the best explanation for the other-than-nature aspect of humanity, uh, typically referred to as the soul? So uh, to answer this question, let's recall uh, one of my favorite arguments in the cumulative case, uh, or... are your listeners uh, familiar with the Kalam cosmological argument? Um,
0: th- yeah, I think so. I've got well, I've got a video on it. I actually talked about it last Friday, as well. Uh, oh, and good. So, so yeah, the, from the from the argument from the that the universe has a beginning, and that that God is the best explanation for that. Yeah.
1: Yeah, exactly. So you might want to share that uh, with this video because uh, the Kalam, in my opinion. It's definitely one of the most intriguing arguments for the existence of God. Mm -hmm. And it's a short, simple, two-premise argument with a powerful deductive conclusion. Um, You know, and you said uh, that God is the best explanation, but it does have a deductive conclusion um, that uh, it says nothing about God, but everybody sees that it's God, and that's why atheists hate this argument. Mm -hmm. So it goes like this. Premise one, whatever begins to exist has a cause. Two, the universe began to exist Three, therefore, the universe has a cause. Now, my focus today is not to defend the premises of this well-known argument, mm-hmm. um, but if people uh, want to go watch your video on it, or they can go to freethinkingministries.com, my website. I've written a lot about the Kalam, or they can go to my YouTube channel, just mm-hmm. Freethinking Ministries YouTube channel. I've got some videos there. Really, the best place to go is uh, William Lane Craig's work, um, mm-hmm. uh, his, his website, his books. Um, he's the the king when it comes to um, the Kalam.
2: Mm-hmm. But
1: my focus today is simply uh, f- focusing on that final step of the deductive conclusion. Um, and, and if the two premises are true, it leads to a startling <laughs> conclusion that the universe has a cause. So now you have to unpack uh, what does what does universe mean. So consider uh, this definition of the universe: the universe is anything and everything. That is in time and space, including time and space, everything that is physical, material, and can be tested or discovered scientifically. So that's a nice way of saying all nature, right? The naturalist believes that that's all that exists, right? Mm -hmm. That the universe is all that exists, um, only nature. But given this description, the cause of the universe cannot be anything that fits within the definition of the universe. Mm -hmm. And to argue otherwise, one is left affirming um, logical incoherence, you know, like the universe existed before the universe existed. Yeah, or the universe the was
0: universe. was causing things while it wasn't existing. <laughs> well,
1: that's right, that's right. <clears throat> so, so the question um, is, well, what could have caused the universe to exist logically prior to the existence of the universe or of all nature? So think about the rational inferences, and this will get a, a bit philosophical here, but it's going to relate to the abductive conclusion of the free-thinking argument quite soon. So bear with me. So here's the deal. If the if the cause of the universe transcends space and time, then logically it had to be timeless. because We're talking about the beginning of time. So whatever caused time, whatever caused the clock to start ticking, had to exist previously in a state of affairs in which the clock was not ticking. Mm-hmm. So this means that whatever was the cause of time would have had no beginning because a beginning necessitates time. Mm -hmm. So if the cause existed apart from time and had no beginning, well, it can be inferred logically Mm -hmm. that this cause has, or had no cause of its own as it logically never began to exist. Um, Mm -hmm. It it exists outside of time um, and exists eternally without beginning. So it's an eternal without beginning cause of space-time universe. Um, you know, I saw somebody on <laughs> their Twitter feed yesterday. Uh, what? Is, what is it? They said time after time or uh, what is it that, that different religions are uh, or that time disproves different religions. And Hold I on, actually... I've, I've
0: got it. I got it right here.
1: Yeah. Let's
0: see if I can put it on our screen. You sent me some of the ones that you thought were interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Time kills go right all right. gods. Okay.
1: Now, I saw that and I, I thought, Hashtag atheism. Yeah. I, I think, uh, I think time kills most ideas of gods or God or gods, right? But I have an article on my website, freethinkingmysteries.com called Time Proves God. And uh, this, this version of God that time proves is quite consistent with uh, the biblical view of God as well. But I don't want to get into that right now. But it's kind of related because we're talking about the space-time universe. Um, Mm -hmm. So uh, with that said, uh, the Big Bang marks the beginning of space-time. If that's the case, then it logically follows that the cause of the universe also had to have been spaceless. And this means that the cause would have no size or shape. Whatever it was, whatever caused the universe, uh, whatever caused all nature... Was utterly immaterial. Mm-hmm. So accordingly, just like the free thinking argument, the kalam takes naturalism off the table as a possible model of reality because this argument has provided evidence that a supernatural, some an other than nature, cause of the universe exists. Mm-hmm. Now, beyond this ultimate cause being outside of time and being immaterial, another inference is that it must be enormously powerful you know uh, dr craig i think has said i can't think of anything that would require more power than causing an entire universe from nothing okay. so what could require or even a
0: paperclip uh, from nothing if you ask me yeah, that, yeah, anything, that's anything that's from exactly. nothing mm-hmm. uh this yeah. yeah that's pretty i like the way william like he was time lasts,
1: space lasts <laughs> yeah that's right anyway he always kind of says anyway. it the same way uh-huh Uh, So, yeah, whatever it is, it's got to be enormously powerful to create a paperclip or a universe, an entire universe from nothing. Um, uh, So on top of that, not only did the cause of the universe have to have been apart from time and space, uh, it also had to have the ability. Speaking of power, it had to have the power to spontaneously bring the world into existence without anything causing it to do so. Because then whatever the cause of the cause was would Be the cause. (laughs) I think I said that right Um, now remember now we're talking about causation again so remember one of the definitions of libertarian freedom that we started with it's not being causally determined by an external force Mm -hmm. so we see here that whatever the cause of the universe this the space-time universe was um it it has libertarian freedom because Mm -hmm it wasn 't causally determined by something else,
0: yeah, we have but- no reason to um, invent the existence of something other than the cause of the universe to be alongside I mean that would it itself just be it would either the thing we invent would either be another version of the same thing we 'd just be making God again or it would be something God would have to cause right so the, the cause of the universe yeah. um, using occam 's razor that 's right correctly, which nobody on the internet does and uh we would we would shave away unnecessary extrapolations you know we're going to bring in other causes so yeah in other words yeah it's something internal is causing he's causing himself to create the universe effectively right
1: he's i want to say he's causing himself he's just uh he's whatever the cause that's probably is. a sloppy
0: terminology huh he's causing himself
1: <laughs> right, right right he is the um, cause anyway yeah there you go so that's libertarian go. free will because there's nothing
0: external yeah. causing him
1: now if you see I'm, I'm not jumping to the conclusion that this is god at this yeah, point i'm that's just me. referring to it as the cause of the universe saying whatever the cause is it's a mm. supernatural cause it's a timeless and eternal sure. cause uh the cause of space has to be spaceless and therefore immaterial because matter requires space to exist. Uh, another word for immaterial might be spirit, but call it what you will, right? And whatever this cause of the universe is, it's got to be enormously powerful because uh, you know the ability to bring anything into existence, let alone a fine-tuned universe, uh, seems to require uh, tremendous amounts of power. And I can't think of anything that would re- require more power. Now, we've also shown uh, that this uh, this cause of the universe, whatever it is uh, has libertarian free will you know since since this cause, whatever it is, exists outside of anything physical, temporal, or material, none of these things could logically cause or force this ultimate cause to do anything, so therefore this ultimate cause seems to have its own volition or libertarian freedom or libertarian free will so um now see see this this cause of the universe possesses libertarian freedom at least in the sourcehood sense. Mm-hmm. Um I I in my dissertation and in my book that's coming out soon I argue that the cause of the universe whatever it is uh, also has the pap the principle of alternative possibilities. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, also known as you, the
0: chocolate or vanilla version of free.
1: <laughs> and that's right that's right.
0: But As at this point
1: Yeah, at this point, all I need is the sourcehood sense, and I've demonstrated sourcehood here. Yeah. So yeah. so then the question is raised, what could this immaterial cause of the universe that possesses libertarian freedom be? Well, think about it. Persons. If you think that persons have free will or not, persons are the only types of things that could possibly possess libertarian freedom to make choices. I'm not saying hu- just humans. I'm saying personal things. If, if you're a, a free-thinking <laughs> uh, thing, then you seem to be a personal thing. You're a person, mm-hmm. right? So even if uh, Wookiees existed, yeah. they would still be personal beings even though they're not humans. Yeah. So, so persons are the only types of things that could possibly possess libertarian freedom to make choices. So therefore, we can decipher that the cause of the universe was a personal being. Now, uh, one of my favorite uh, physicists, theoretical physicists, uh, her name is, I think, I hope I pronounce it right, Fortini Marcoppolo, a Greek physicist. Uh, She made a statement once. She said, apart from time, things don't happen. Think about that. Apart from time, things don't happen. Mm -hmm. And I agree with one caveat. I would say apart from time, things don't happen unless... In a timeless state, a timeless agent with libertarian freedom chooses to make something happen. Then something can happen. So to clarify, since it's true that apart from time, things don't happen unless a timeless agent with libertarian freedom chooses to make something happen or the first thing happen, Mm -hmm. uh, then we have additional reason to infer that the cause of the universe Mm -hmm. is a personal being since agents with libertarian freedom – are persons. (laughs) They don't have to be human, just a person, a personal entity. Now, here's the deal. This is where uh, the Kalam gets pretty cool. If the cause of the universe is personal, then it's at least possible that it, you know, whatever it is, can have a personal relationship with other personal beings. And Mike, you and I are personal beings. and I think there's, you know, hundreds, if not thousands of people watching this video or that will watch it, who are also personal beings, and so therefore it's possible that all the, personal, or all the persons who are watching this video can have a personal relationship with the cause and creator of the universe. Hmm. Now, how cool is that? Because I haven't touched a Bible or any other religious book. I've just been thinking logically about scientific data, really. Yeah. Um, I've just been doing metaphysics here. So this and would I, present
0: us with a challenge to deism. Right, where yep. some would say, well, that's just deism. It would be like this oh. would actually – this piece of the argument is saying that's not deism, right? That the
1: personal nature
0: well. is, is is pushing against that.
1: Yeah. So all I'm saying right now is that it's at least possible that mm. human persons could have a personal relationship with the cause and creator of the universe. Now, deism could be true at this point. So even if there was a personal cause and creator of the universe, but then this personal creator left mm. and said, you guys are on your own. I don't
0: like you. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, right. That'd yeah. be a form of deism, I guess. Sure, uh, but it'd still be possible for this deistic God to come back and have a personal relationship with us. Why? Because you and I are persons, and yeah, uh, there was a personal. Because so like, in my behavior. head, deism
0: involves limits right it's it's an arbitrary limit that god will not interact and know you and, and access you that kind of thing that that's deism is not just saying it hasn't happened but like deism at least to me the stronger understanding of it is like yeah there's just there's a limit here uh, yeah there's a god but but there's a there's a there's an impassable boundary between us um for some reason or another uh, but anyway i'm probably, yeah you got the gears probably... going on
1: my head right now and i think really the the limit if deism is true i think you could still have an omnipotent Deistic creator, you could still have an omniscient deistic creator, but he wouldn't be a, a, omnibenevolent if he yeah. doesn't desire a love relationship mm-hmm. with persons. Yeah. Um, nor, nor so, would he be
0: just and holy in the sense, yeah. the biblical sense, because he's not right. he's not actually the the rightful judge of the of the universe. He just yeah he just like
1: go ahead do your thing. <laughs> right, right, right. Um. Anyway, you got my gears. uh, turning in my head with some of those comments. So yeah. good job, <laughs> totally <laughs> messed you up. <laughs> right, right. No, no. Here's my point. We've come to the conclusion, just through metaphysical arguments, at this point,
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, that human persons could at least possibly have a personal relationship with the cause and creator of the universe. Now, I call the cause of the universe God, but one is free to call this cause whatever they'd like. However, um, and Dr. Craig says this. A, a, Every once in a while, he says, as Shakespeare said, that that which we call a rose by any other name would smell just as sweet. So now I'm trying to say that the inference to the best explanation for the human soul and libertarian freedom is the biblical view of God. So far, I've just got God, right? Because like you said, this could be a deistic version of God. Maybe it's Islam. Maybe it's Judaism. But I'm saying, no, no, no. It's the biblical view of God. So we've got God, but let's make it stronger. Um, Why is the biblical view of God the best explanation of human freedom and the human soul? Because the Kalam simply appeals to logic and science and doesn't touch a religious book um, whatsoever. But be that as it may, the attributes that we've drawn from that conclusion correspond with the way the Bible describes God's properties. So the Kalam uh, provides evidence of the ultimate mega mind behind the universe, which also makes perfect sense regarding the free thinking immaterial mini minds that humans seem to have based on the free thinking argument. So I want you to see that um, the free thinking argument shows free thinking immaterial mini minds, the Kalam shows an immaterial free thinking mega mind behind the universe. So you start to see wow, are we in the image? Or likeness of the ultimate mega mind behind the universe. Mm. Yeah. Um <laughs> see where I'm going. Okay. Yeah, that's so, no,
0: That's a very. That's a really intriguing idea. Now, let me before we before you continue that thought. So number eight, you're kind of. It sounds like you're saying you're. So far, I know you're still working through it. Your justification yeah. for number eight is going to be uh, a, a central part of it's going to be the kalam. Is that right?
1: Yeah, so I don't. So part of ha-
0: unpacking and defending yeah. is going to be the kalam, or would you I don't also? Have
1: I don't have to have the cologne. Mm-hmm. Could you summarize I I...
0: so far the justifications you've already presented for eight, just in case I'm getting lost in the weeds? Say that again? Would you be able to summarize the the justifications you've given so far, the defense you've given so far for number eight?
1: Yeah, that, uh, you know, like I said, uh, that which we call a rose by any other name smells just as sweet, right? This is God. So we've we've shown that there's an immaterial, supernatural, you know, other than nature a cause of the universe with libertarian free will. So libertarian free will is baked into ultimate reality before the universe ever exists, let alone the things within some things within the universe.
2: Mm.
1: So so we've got a, a, look. I mean mm-hmm. the, the free thinking argument shows an immaterial free think. You know a libertarian uh, or an immaterial libertarian free thinking thing uh, exists. The kalam shows an immaterial, libertarian, uh, free cause and creator of the universe exists. So my point is really to say that the human soul fits quite nicely in this theistic worldview. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I've i not simply argued for God though. In uh, conclusion, eight abductive conclusion eight, I've I've suggested that the biblical view of God is the inference to the best explanation of the existence of the human of the immaterial human soul. And that's because the biblical view of both God and soul are clear. So I think, I mean, so, so um, I guess we should finally appeal to scripture hmm. now. Or did I answer your question? Or
0: I think it sounds to me like, it, unless I'm missing something, that, that the Kalam is. So, okay, so far in the argument, what we get is an immaterial soul and free thinking people. You know, it's kind of what we're getting in the beginning part, the first seven. And then eight right. is saying, so far I hear the Kalam offers a defense that there is an ultimate cause of the universe that also has free will.
1: The same kind of thing. And that we so
0: are. you're suggesting that we're deriving our free will, not from the universe. There doesn't seem to be a natural cause a uh, mm-hmm. cause within the universe for my free will. So you're deriving it from the, the, this ultimate being who has free will. So you're, so you're making a creation created relationship between the
1: right. two. Yeah. Like, uh, Free will, libertarian freedom, as all these naturalists are saying, doesn't seem to have room in a a purely naturalistic universe. If nature is ultimate reality and and all reality, then where would libertarian freedom come from? But if God exists and created the universe, then libertarian freedom exists before the universe. So it seems that the creator who possesses libertarian freedom could surely create creatures. Uh, with libertarian freedom mm-hmm. at, least, at least if he's uh is powerful mm-hmm. <laughs> now would you
0: also run the argument a little differently like if you were to do it uh i love the kalam i think it's a fantastic right, right. convinced i'm convinced by it i use i've used it in in line at disneyland with somebody <laughs> uh, <yeah. laughs> and i thought it was great <laughs> and he did well, too. next actually. time you go to
1: disneyland share the free thinking argument <laughs> and let me know um
0: but okay but but let's say that i didn't use the kalam didn't associate this other argument just for the simplicity of it would you would you say um, this works <laughs> and please yes. shoot me down I mean this is, this is I'm, I'm expressing the kind of thoughts that come to my mind that might come to others minds and so you can you feel free to shoot me down I won't be embarrassed um, the idea would be uh, we, we, we we know we have free will and mm-hmm. some kind of soul and we can't source this in the natural and so there is a supernatural cause for my, for my free will and that, that right there seems to be I say supernatural or you know non-naturalistic cause right. for my free will, mm-hmm. um, and to and to suggest an impersonal cause and, and you know something that doesn't itself have free will starts to get problematic for some of the same reasons. Yeah, I, I like how you said that.
1: All right, cool. <laughs> that at Disneyland too.
0: <laughs> so right on. okay, so you wanted to get biblical?
1: Yeah, let's finally get biblical. Like All I said, right. I don't start with scripture. But as a philosophically inclined, systematic theologian, uh, yeah, I don't start with the Bible. I, I like to end with the Bible. Um, when I go speak at different churches, I, I often say that. So I said, look, your pastor starts with the Bible. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to end with the Bible. And that means you should respect him all the more when he starts with the Bible next week. <laughs> so, uh, so let's let's finally appeal to Scripture uh, I'm going to just use, I'll keep it simple. I'm just going to appeal uh, to one passage in the Old Testament and another in the New. Um, so Genesis 1, and 27, God says, let us make man in our image. Okay. And other uh, translations would say in our likeness. So... Given the Kalam, you know, the Kalam helps us think through this. We start to see what it means to be in the likeness of this immaterial, supernatural, uh, libertarian-free uh, uh, cause and creator, right? It uh, doesn't, doesn't mean a, a perfect um, – like it's not like a mirror kind of image, but it's just a likeness. We are like this cause and creator. Um, and, and really, if you think about it, I mean we're uh, we're kind of little – miracle workers we we do supernatural things every day just by the mere process of thinking and being rational but anyway um not to mention moving uh physical things i can move my arm just by thinking about
0: it yeah i think we're way more amazing than we ever oh, think it's just right it, it yeah blows my mind <laughs> here we are anyway. two, we're two like actual beings in a conversation mm-hmm. being viewed by a bunch of other beings that have like a, a consciousness and awareness and and can think rationally about it. Yeah, yeah. Think, and this oh, is where okay, the, the, the theistic worldview, that. I think, makes more sense because you look around and you go, "Look at you guys! You're made in the image of God. You're you're amazing. Mm-hmm. You're, you're sinners that you need the grace of Christ, but your very nature is there's this wow, this just amazing wow factor. I'm fearfully and wonderfully made." Whereas then the atheist worldview has to look and then try to kind of try to like tone down all that stuff. Like, ah, you, right. you're not you're not really,
1: mm-hmm.
0: you're not you're just a meat robot. You're, you don't really have consciousness because <laughs> that's a consequence of my worldview. Yeah.
1: And, um,
0: we want to rescue guys from that worldview. <laughs> right,
1: right. You are so much more than a meat robot. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so we'll let, just start with Genesis 1, 26 and 27. Let us make man in our image. In our image. Uh, so let's go to the New Testament now. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5, 8. Uh, in that passage, Paul communicates the following. The, the Apostle Paul uh, communicates that you know, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Mm hmm. So think about that. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Uh, now, so with the Kalam in mind, not to mention Bible verses uh, like uh, God is spirit. I think that's John 4, John four twenty four. God is spirit. Um, we know that God is not composed of anything physical. So it follows that God is not the same kind of, the same kind of thing that, that photons would bounce off of to then penetrate the optic nerve. Uh, no, no, no. It'd be photons would bounce off to then penetrate the retina to stimulate our optic nerves to then produce an image in our brains. I think I got that right. Yeah, God, God doesn't, God doesn't the fit the test tube. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Photons aren't bouncing off of God, or however they, the technical uh, term would be. Uh, so whatever kind of image that we're, when you look in a mirror and you see you see an image, that's not the image. That the cause of the universe has the cause of the, the cause of the universe isn't a physical material thing. That's why racism is stupid. By the way, racism is just stupid, um, and that's also why every human is equal. Right? Uh, the, the Declaration of Independence got it right uh, that every human is equal in the image of our Creator, uh, mm-hmm. because the same soul. Look, LeBron James. I think you meant I. to
0: say "made in the image of." You know, you know the thing.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: that's, that's right. Oh, yeah, no, I mean, yeah. Our our, our differences, um, even even in gender, are our differences, which which are significant differences, but they're trivial compared to our core nature being made in the image of God, God the image and then our God. differences in skin color are,
1: are, are irrelevant. And differences uh, in size and shape. Yeah. You know, LeBron James has much more physical power than I do. Um, we're not created equal when it comes to our physical bodies. Mm-hmm. Um, but guess what? The same thing that's going to survive the death of his body is exactly equal to the, the same thing that is going to that, me, that, that survives the death of my body. Yeah. Right? There's no size or weight or color to that image of God. And when you start to understand this and you see, wow, this is what makes us equal. This is why the government ought to treat us equally. Mm-hmm. I promise I wasn't getting, going to get into politics today. But, but just you, so you guys you know,
0: know uh, Tim's actually on a kick right now where he's dealing with a lot of this kind of content where he's dealing with social justice issues and Marxism and things like this. And if you guys are interested in considering the things that he has to share, um, that you'll find that on his website. I linked it below, actually, in the video description, okay. too. So, um, cool. so yeah, I... I'm not embarrassed about those issues. I, I, in fact, I'm thinking I might need to dig into them more. uh, I hope you do. The truth is, I try to make my content be like it, like it'll be valid, it'll be relevant years from now. It'll be relevant outside the United States and whatever country people are viewing. I have viewers in South Africa, I have viewers in Norway. I'm not worried about US politics when I make content. But there are things that are just growing in importance in my mind, and I'm thinking maybe I need to focus on those issues more. We'll see. Yeah. The truth is it's like forcing me to care about things I just – I know. I know this sounds weird. I don't care.
1: Right. I just don't care. Well, say, I, and,
0: it's, and it's easy for me. Yeah. I'm like, look, that's obviously dumb. Like that's unbiblical and dumb and Christians shouldn't do it. Like how hard is this? Right. Um, and this, this isn't about picking a side between Republicans and Democrats. And if we think it is,
1: we're not thinking biblically. Anyway,
0: we'll, yeah. maybe, maybe I, we'll I, touch I'm more on those issues later.
1: I'm a I'm a proud free-thinking registered independent. So uh I've definitely picked on Republicans in the past but yeah I do seem to be picking on uh some democratic policies a lot more uh lately. But Let's uh, table that. Uh, we can yeah. discuss that. Well, yeah, because
0: you can disagree with us on those secondary political issues, mm-hmm. and I can disagree with you and you and me. The, um, we're talking about the central issues about the Christian faith, and there will be believers who are genuine followers of Christ who will disagree on those issues, and
1: that's okay. Yeah, um, that's right. Yeah. That's right. So let's get, get back to this image um, and this likeness. You know, uh, I, I think a better interpretation of that passage is, uh, you know, let us make man in our likeness. But I'm cool with image too, because image just means likeness. But God is an immaterial and supernatural mind, right? We we see this from the Kalam, and so is the human soul. We see that from the free-thinking argument. So you see how the Kalam and the free-thinking argument overlap here. Mm-hmm. And and moreover, when we talk about, uh, you know, the Apostle Paul's words in Second Corinthians, Paul tells us that we can exist apart from the body, and based on the logical law of identity, if a person can exist apart from his body, then he is not identical with his body. So Paul is referring to you, an immaterial human mind who has a body, mm-hmm. but can continue to exist apart from it. And this yes. immaterial mind is the human soul created in the image of God. So given the fact that that we've argued both, one, that immaterial minds exist within the universe, these immaterial many minds exist within the universe, and that, two, we've we uh, we've evidenced that a, a, a mega-mind, an immaterial mega-mind is behind the universe, and we've done all of that without touching a Bible. Uh, I say perhaps we should take the Bible seriously when it affirms the exact same things, and you see, this is why A biblical view of God is the best explanation of the immaterial and free-thinking human soul. Uh, That's the abductive conclusion there. So Mm -hmm. in conclusion of everything I've got for you today, I just say that we have reason to believe that God created humanity with libertarian freedom. So I also believe then that God has created humanity to live in freedom, uh, to, to live in a libertarian um, free uh, state I guess that 's how that 's his desire for us anyway, so uh I you know look at galatians five thirteen i 'll end with scripture here galatians five thirteen Paul says, For you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters, but don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature, instead, use your freedom to serve one another and love hmm. you see we we could satisfy our sinful nature. But he's saying, no, don't do what you could do. Instead, (laughs) do otherwise. You have the ability to do otherwise. Use your freedom to serve one another in love. You see, God has called us to live in libertarian freedom, and I argue so that we can experience true love. So we have alternative options that are both consistent and compatible with our nature. Christians can either satisfy our sinful natures, or we can choose to serve each other and love so mm-hmm. choose wisely
0: yeah yeah man i love how it comes back to love yeah in a in a non uh fluffy sense it's just like you go right. yes i mean christianity is about love ultimately that's in exactly so right.
1: many ways um so that's why you that, that's why we exist yeah yeah
0: Relate, relationships yeah. yeah, and one of the worst things that can happen to you is just being completely and utterly isolated, which is one of the reasons why all this stuff with people, uh, social distancing is so challenging and hard for many people because they're just being very, very isolated, and it's so not right for us. Uh, yeah. That I'm not arguing about anything other than the effect it has. The effect it has is not healthy for us here. It's, and so um, that's what I think of as like in prison. The, the When it goes really bad, they're like, all right, you're already in prison, <laughs> Now we're going to make you be alone in prison. Right. <laughs> right. That's like solitary confinement is like the worst because because we're made for relationships and we're made for yeah. love and here Christianity is all about God who wants to have a relationship with you where you love him and you choose him as he chooses you freely joined together covered by the forgiveness of Christ. I mean it's mm. it's beautiful. Yes. Um and it fits in so many ways like it, I, I don't know how else to explain this except it, it, it. So philosophically, it's defensible, and it fits my gut for what humans need, right? Forgiveness right. and relationship and love, and I see that in Christianity as opposed to other religions. They're not all the same. The Grim Reaper can't just stomp around from room to room using the same scythe because the very scythe that takes out Roman gods and Greek gods doesn't
1: work on
0: the God yeah. of the Bible. <laughs>
1: That's right. That's right. It's yeah. a maximally great being. Yeah. Yeah.
0: All right, man. Well, uh, Tim, thank you so much. If people want to follow up on your stuff, it's Freethinking, wait, I don't want to get your website wrong. What is it?
1: Freethinkingministries.com. Ministries.com.
0: Freethinkingministries.com. I have links in the video description as well. When his book comes out on this topic, I will come back and add a link to that as well. And, um, is there anything else that uh, we should say? Oh, your YouTube channel is also you're recently experimenting with doing more YouTube content, yeah. They can follow you it's not on not
1: nearly as good as yours, Mike, but I'm trying <laughs> so, yeah. anybody watching this, if you would subscribe to the Free Thinking Ministries YouTube channel, you'd make me very happy, <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah. And if you like the way he unpacked the things today, then you'll probably like a lot of his content because he's the same yeah. guy dealing with different issues, so, um. I guess that's going to be it. Thanks for joining you guys. Wednesday, I have an interview uh, that I'm going to be posting. I did on a radio show or a podcast, I guess. And that'll be coming up. And that's on Wednesday. Then on Friday, we're doing our weekly Q&A. Next Monday, we'll be back with the Mark series, picking up on the issue of prayer. I'm fiddling around with how I'm going to handle this next issue. I may deal with it as, um, is Kenneth Copeland right? (laughs) As a sort of topical, uh, you know, because I'm dealing with probably the most powerful, probably the most powerful, strongest um, prayer passage from from the words of Jesus about it, whatever you ask, believing you will receive. And so I thought, well, I want to do this rightly. I want to understand it carefully and we'll see how that goes. Pray for me this week that I would have wisdom. And um, all right. Thanks, Dr. Tim Stratton. And oh, there was somebody in the, in the comments uh, in the live chat who I, I got a note from one of my mods who was saying that you're not really a doctor. Um, and uh, <laughs> no, and, and I just want PhD to say people. like, welcome
1: mm-hmm. to the internet. <laughs> yeah, right, right.
0: Yeah. So tell uh, us just tell us what was your PhD in what what what, you know, where where did you get it?
1: Yeah, from a secular university um in uh, South Africa. So it's a Northwest University. Um, and yeah, I had to write a 300 plus page dissertation to get it and uh yeah, it's a it's a real PhD. So <laughs> <gasps> yeah. And, um, which doesn't mean that everything yeah. you say is right. But no.
0: what it means is that you've you've put your homework in on this topic. And this right. is this is the issue, this is related to your dissertation, the stuff we're talking mm-hmm. about today. So um so at any rate, uh, you know, people are always gonna I'm not right. going to go look up your institution and be like, oh, that one doesn't
1: count. Yeah. <laughs>
0: like, not in America. Yeah. Okay. Sure. That's just, that's just welcome to the internet. You should right, see the things right. they say about me.
1: <laughs> mm-hmm. Hey, bottom line, it doesn't matter if I'm uh, if I have a PhD or not. Yeah. Um, what matters have is your one.
0: argumentation.
1: Right. What ma- I don't care if somebody is uh, is a janitor at a gas station, nothing wrong with being a janitor at a gas station, but if their arguments are uh, valid and sound, then they're valid and sound. And you got to take them seriously.
0: And if they did study philosophy, they would understand what an ad hominem is and they wouldn't attack your degree or your education. <laughs> they would focus on your argumentation. That's right. That's right. Anyway, thank you guys so much for joining me. God bless you. I hope this has been something fruitful. I hope that in the, in, in the next few years, we see this kind of argument um, continue to be more popularized so that people can kind of take it to the street and talk to their friends about it and show how free will, free will not only shows that you're more than meat- It also (laughs) points to the biblical God. All right. God bless you.